your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. The triangle formation of the near side, J.D. split out left. They look left, back to throw is Adrian. He could step up and he's going to try to run for the pylon. He's to the five, he lays out, he's in! That's a two-point play for Nebraska, and they've tied this game in Champaign at 35 apiece. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. We're here. Welcome back. Tuesday night, Sports Nightly. Oh, this is a good time, right? Going to be fun. Greg Sharp along with Ben McLaughlin, who never, I repeat, never swung at a 3-0 pitch. Don't know if that's right. <laughs> I, I, I think I maybe have once, once or twice. I was never good enough, like, once I got to high school to just have to be that guy, to, to have the green light. But I was a pretty good, like, select baseball player to where I think a few times coach, coach said, if you like it, swing at it. But I was always, like, fond of the walk. So, like, I never really wanted to swing 3-0. So I don't think I Fernando Tatiste it very often, if ever. How amazing that that story's gotten that much play. Well, they were up six or seven runs late. He is ahead in the count 3-0, and he whacks one out of the ballpark for a grand slam to blow a game open last night. Then then the Rangers throw at Manny Machado, who hits behind him. You know, then he led his – Austin just gave you in the ticker some suspensions today. Um I'm I'm I come down to the side of Tatis. I know it's probably one of those unwritten rules. We're going to talk more about unwritten rules in sports later on. I don't care. Come on, you're up there getting your at bat. I, I I have no problem with him swinging away last night in that game. I watched that game. Like I, I saw the whole thing happen. And the thing that to add a little context for those that didn't watch the the Padres Rangers game last night. Uh, <laughs> unlike I did. Um, you got such a great life. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I, the thing that was crazy about that game is two innings before that, it was a close game until yeah. Fernando Tatis hit a three run home run. And that kind of, you know, it gave him a little bit of cushion. And then obviously the grand slam put it out of reach, but look, Here's the bottom line, and I tweeted this earlier. You're a professional. Like, you guys are all professional Major League Baseball players. They don't have a run rule in your game for a reason. You play all nine innings, and you get through it. And then once the game's over, the game's over. If you don't like a guy swinging away 3-0, have better command of your pitches. Don't go down 3-0. If you're concerned he's going to whack it out of the ballpark, walk him. (laughs) Bring up the next guy. So... Absolutely, I have no qualms with it. I should because I'm going up against Fernando Tatis in fantasy baseball this week, and he had two home runs, seven RBIs yesterday, a couple of hits today, and a stolen base today. Um, I mean, the guy is just an absolute animal. Um, I wasn't, I didn't have any problem with it, and, and I think the fact that he felt the need to apologize was an absolute joke. And and you know, Coach Erstad would always talk about the baseball gods. And how poetic justice of it today in the first inning of the Rangers and the Padres, Will Myers whacks a grand slam in the first inning uh, to go up 4 nothing. So it looks like the Padres are going to win that game, as Austin told you, up 6-4 in the top of the eighth inning. Um, I loved it. I love the fact that Myers went deep today. 
And look, I am not a Padres fan. I am not a Rangers fan. I didn't know who Woodward was before today. Um, but yeah, that's a joke. And the fact that it's, and I have seen so many more people in favor of Tatis. I don't know that I've seen a single person other than somebody from the Rangers club have a problem with Tatis swinging away at 3-0. I mean, well, to what... anybody that's a part of the game, has been a part of the game, is a fan of the game, has zero issue with it. Uh, that's what I was going to ask you. What percentage of baseball people are okay with that? I was going to say maybe 80%. It might be higher because you're right. The only thing that I only pushback that I've seen has been from the Rangers about how that was just wrong. That's BS. You don't do that. Everybody who play, has ever played this game knows that. They just threw a tantrum about it. But even Trevor Bauer tweeted in, in favor of Tatis earlier today. He's a more one of the more flamboyant. And he's uh, a pitcher. <laughs> right. He's a pitcher. He's also not afraid to share his opinions with you. He was in favor of Tatis. Like, yeah, like you said, get ahead in the count. Don't fall behind 3-0. And play the game. Make a pitch. In that, in that, He's trying to make a swing. you got to make a pitch. Uh, but, man, it has it's been a huge topic today, so I thought we'd lead off with that. And I mentioned that we're going to be talking more about unwritten rules. That, in fact, is our top ten list tonight, unwritten rules in sports. Uh, some were pretty interesting as I dug into that throughout the day today to put my list together. That's going to be fun. That's going to be a fun one to get into in a couple of hours. Yeah, and we'll talk more about it uh, in the 8 o'clock hour. But I, I, made, I made it a point on my list to not look any up because if it's unwritten, it should be something I already know. Sure. So yeah. I, 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 it, I'm interested to, to see what you guys put on yours because there are – I think I do have three or four baseball ones on mine, and none of them have to do with 3-0 or when you can swing and when you're not allowed to swing. Well, I would think baseball probably has more of them than any other sport. When you sit and think about those type of things, that terminology comes up with the sport of baseball more than it does football, basketball – anything else so actually I, I i've got a couple hockeys on my list not to i give, do have a give, hockey one on mine not to well. give all my uh my secrets away but we'll get into that in hour number three here is what we have on the program tonight sam McEwen of the omaha world herald has been chasing all this craziness of college football in the big 10 uh, we'll get his take on what's been happening over the last couple of weeks uh, as it relates to college football. Sam's coming up here in a few minutes. Hour number two, uh, Bill Landis from The Athletic, who covers the, the Ohio State Buckeyes, will join us. We'll get their version of what's been going on in the last week or so. They were really, they've really, they've kind of surplanted Nebraska as the team being the most aggressive about this in the last seven days. First with the comments of Ryan Day that he didn't get a ton of backing really from his administration, I didn't think. But then Justin Fields starting the player petition we want to play uh, to uh, the parents there that jumped on board after the Iowa parents kind of put together their letter to deliver to the league office. So Bill Landis will, will join us in hour number two to kind of Give us a, a boots-on-the-ground picture from Columbus in the state of Ohio. We'll also unveil uh, a, a new little feature for us tonight called Beyond the Headlines. It's, it's a takeoff of 7-on-7, seven seven, but we've had to retire 7-on-7 seven seven because that's this isn't the time of the year. We'll have some fun with that. Austin and Brett put their heads together. We'll get into that in hour number two. Top 10 Tuesday coming your way in the beginning of hour number three. And we're going to catch up with Steve Warren, former Husker who runs the Warren Academy up in Omaha. He 
he's been really trying to to find his former teammate, Ralph Brown. He's really been rallying former Husker players to kind of send up a flare for their former teammate in the bizarre story that we shared with you on Friday night that Ralph Brown has been missing off the grid for 12 months now. His The mother of his children can't find him. He has disconnected his phone. Um, when she's reached out to his family, they won't communicate with her they don't want anything to do with his children it's a really sad and strange story because ralph brown is a very gregarious guy um, always with a smile on his face i'm concerned i'm worried about ralph i hope this story turns out well i think it might i think it has the potential to maybe turn out okay because i i i, I don't i don't think he was in any health issues and if the family isn't talking to the the girl, girlfriend, and the mother of the children, that tells me that maybe they are having some communication with Ralph. But Steve Warren's trying to rally some Huskers to find out uh, maybe if anybody's talked to him, seen him, bumped into him, whatever. We'll, we'll talk to Steve in hour number three. All right, now uh, back to the Big Ten story. Ben, another day has come and gone without any comment from the league office. So we're now at the one-week mark. It was last Tuesday that – that the decision, the announcement of no Big Ten football for the fall, and then the disastrous interview from the commissioner with Dave Revson of BTN, which he followed up a few hours later with more poignant comments to Yahoo Sports in an interview that he gave. But I don't think he's given any other interviews from that point forward. How surprised are you that we're sitting here seven days out and still have very little explanation from the league and its commissioner? You know, at this point, I'm not surprised. I... I mean, I think he's so far in over his head on this situation that that he doesn't know what to do. And I feel like if he was confident in his answer, we would have heard from him by now. I mean, I feel like he would have doubled down. He would have given more information. I mean, the, the amount of public pressure that's being put on him right now is pretty severe, pretty significant. And it's the fact that there's still crickets after all this is, uh, is, is pretty telling. And, and I don't know... Um, I, I know we've heard from apparently from some league spokesmen, uh, from some sources around the Big Ten Conference office uh, who's kind of maybe issued some quick statements or texts or phone calls um, with quotes to reporters. But we have heard nothing from an official standpoint from from anybody in the league office. And I think that's really telling, especially considering the amount of national attention now this is as we were talking about yesterday, this has gone bigger than just a disgruntled Nebraska. This has grown to, um, you know, a nationwide college football issue that that everybody is aware of. And I think, um, you know, a big reason why is, you know, the assistance of Ohio State in this deal and Iowa and Michigan. Um, you know, I, I still think that there's certain, a certain amount of venom that some national folks who have had their head in the clouds the last week – have toward Nebraska, but I, it, it's bizarre, Greg, that this that we have not heard anything, and um, you know it's been a week, and I'm beginning to think if it, if we haven't heard anything by now, nothing nothing will come out, and and th- like I said, I, I felt this way a week ago that just the flub of the press conference was enough to ruin his reputation. That being Kevin Warren, the new Big Ten commissioner. It's only getting worse, and, and, and for those that, 
that maybe still had a chance to, to switch their opinion on him the, the longer that goes by. I don't know that very many people feel that way now, especially on the campuses of Lincoln, Iowa City, Ann Arbor, and Columbus, Ohio. I, I think it's gonna do. It's gonna take a lot. It's gonna take a lot of um, rebuilding of trust, communication, transparency, all those things that we have not had uh, for that type of um, relationship to be to be re- re- restored or reinvigorated. I. It, 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 It's a bad look, that's for sure. The Big Ten is getting a really, really bad look right now. Here's one theory out there, that they're waiting for more bad news to pile up so that they can sit there and go, we we told you so. And Austin had a little bit of that in the ticker. Michigan State has already informed their student body, stay home. You're going to begin the semester, probably have the entire semester online. Uh, Notre Dame has had to shut down classes after a week, telling their students, stay in the dorm, we're going to go virtual for a couple of weeks they're not saying for the rest of the semester for a couple of weeks after several hundred students have tested positive for covid north carolina's campus has had to shut down because of that maybe the big 10 is just waiting for enough of these that they can sit back and go told you we told you this was going to blow up we knew this this is what we were anticipating this is why we made the decision that that's my theory that they just want this to pile up a little bit to so the thing go yep see we were we were on it and we were we were ahead of our time in this whole thing they're not going to talk unless they have something positive as you said you said to reinforce their point they're not going to talk just to appease the people because I don't think they have the answers if they had if they had the answers that people wanted to hear we would have heard from them by now so I think there's a lot of validity to what you were saying and yeah it wouldn't shock me at all until um you know maybe even another league cancels or all three of them decide to postpone that then you might hear something but yeah that what you're saying makes a lot of sense I, I saw today a number and I I need to double check it but I want to throw it out there anyway that's what we do that it, like 134 schools play Division One FBS football. 77 are still, as of right now, slated to play. You have the Power Three, the other Power Three conferences. You have the Sun Belt. You have the AAC, and you have Conference USA that are all still a go for college football this fall. So uh, we'll see this. We're getting we're getting closer. We're inching closer. There's pads happening at practices now in college football for some teams that play. Uh, I think the first official game is September. Austin can double-check me on this. I believe it's Thursday, September the 3rd, and it's Southern Miss and maybe UAB. That That's a game that's right now on the schedule, hasn't been postponed, hasn't been canceled. We're not that far away, Ben, from September the 3rd being here. No, and, you know, I'm imagining what it what it must be like if indeed some of these seasons do get canceled uh how close you would get to to kicking off and and, you know getting through the workout period then getting through the first portion of fall camp without pads and putting pads on and then the you know as we know the the stages of fall camp then it's game prep and then and then it's it you know you're you're past the install you're into the game prep to have your season ripped away from you at that point would be would just be devastating i mean as devastating as it was for us to have a week ago we never even got the pads on but to, mm-hmm. to, to come so close, and, and there are some conferences, Greg, that that may happen. It might be, I, I don't want to say a Big Ten basketball scenario where games are getting called at halftime, but, uh, you know, where, where, where we're, you know, 
counting down the days to kickoff, and then all of a sudden something crazy happens like we've seen on the campus of Alabama and Tuscaloosa with all the students at bars and whatnot that, you know, that end up causing something to happen. But, yeah, I mean, as of right now, every day that goes by is another day that you can rip off that calendar. We have college – I mean – that's just going to be so heartbreaking for us to sit here and watch college football if Nebraska is not a part of it. I had half the matchup right. It's South Alabama against Southern Miss. Will you watch? Sure. Why not? September the 3rd. That's the first FBS game on the docket still there. That That is what, two weeks from Thursday? Got my math right? That right? Yeah. Two weeks from Thursday. Oh, my. Wow. And we welcome on board the program now, Sam McEwen of the Omaha World Herald. You can read his work online at omaha.com. Sam, wow, what a, what a roller coaster the last couple of weeks have been for fans, coaches, players. This has been nothing short of crazy. It has. It has. It's been, uh, you know, from the Wednesday when the st- schedule was released, and it still seemed a little sure by Saturday, and it turned to uh-oh. And then it seemed like it was going to get rescued at least for a couple of more weeks. And then the Big Ten postpones and everything since. I mean, it's been a complete whirlwind. Um, it's it's an odd thing to cover as a reporter because uh, you know there's there's only so much you can do and there's only so much that Nebraska can do. I mean, everybody knew where Nebraska stood. It wasn't a matter of where Nebraska stood on this issue. It was whether you know they had enough allies to push. And at the time that it kind of all went down. I, I don't know that uh, enough schools were aware of the potential consequences. But now I think more schools probably understand that, and, and uh, you know, they're looking at three other leagues trying to push forward. It, it, looks, it looks pretty concerning. Are you surprised by the lack of transparency by the league office? I am um, a little bit. I think that uh, – I think that the league – the Big Ten, the presidents, and the chancellors, um, whether or not I disagree with, agree or disagree with their decision, I think they thought Kevin Warren would explain it. I don't think they hoped or thought he was going to go out and talk for 20 minutes on BTN and not come up with much clarity. Um, he he seemed tired. He seemed, you know, just a little bit like, hmm, his mind was, you know, kind of maybe going in four or five different directions and, I'm sure as some of the presidents who po- voted to postpone watched that, they were like, that's not good. And so I think some of it falls on him uh, for not being able to explain it very clearly. Um, I didn't really agree with Barry Alvarez, but he gave an answer after Kevin Warren was on there about contact tracing. It was at least something. Um, you know. So there was – I think that's part of the issue is that they kind of thought he was going to go out there and kind of lay it out, and he didn't. Um, they apparently did not have a prepared medical document like the Pac-12. Again, not sure I really agree with the Pac-12 medical document. Certainly the ACC, SEC, and Big 12 don't. So I don't think that's an answer alone, but that seemed to please people more that at least there was a piece of paper that people could look at and read and, and uh, you know, count on. Um, and the Big Ten just really hasn't provided that. Uh, and then, you know, he's having to sort of clean up his answers and subsequent interviews that he's doing with national media sites and never really giving a press conference and never really answering a question. Um, it's been a rough, you know, it's been a rough week for the Big Ten. Usually this is the spot reserved for the Pac-12 <laughs> and the Big Ten, which has never been this league. They've always been real clear about where they stand. 
um, has suddenly become a league that everybody's kind of looking at and going, what is going on there? And right now it just seems like a lot of dissension, a lot of uncertainty among the members. And quite frankly, I think we've seen in the last week that the two teams that are the biggest rivals in the league, Ohio State and Michigan, are on different sides of this conversation, which I find to be very interesting, too. Ohio State is on Nebraska's side here, um, and Michigan is, is not. You made the comment that after the president's voted, the commissioner didn't really go out and articulate the, the reasons very well. There's even some dispute, Sam, whether they that they voted or that they just kind of have a discussion. And Kevin Warren took the direction of the discussion that it was enough to to say we're shutting her down. I, that seems to be also a confusing point of contention after this, doesn't it? It does. You know, I, I don't know if there's an official vote. Taken. I think it was probably always a comfort poll or something like that. Um, I have a pretty good sense that there was probably about six schools that were in favor of playing, maybe seven. Um, but, you know, you can see pretty clearly the schools that weren't based on the statements they released afterward. I mean, Michigan was not in favor of playing. Michigan State was not. Wisconsin was not. Minnesota was not. That's all pretty clear. Um, so, you know, you, you can tell there were some schools that were – that were really hesitant or just simply didn't agree with going forward. And, um, yeah, you just – it's hard to tell. Um, now, granted, if, if, if it's that close of a decision, from my framework, you got to have a commissioner who understands, all right, we really haven't decided yet. There's not a settled feeling among the group. So let's keep the guys in the helmets and the shorts. Let's move the schedule back because we have this flexibility to do, to do so. Let's move it back two weeks. Let's keep them in the helmets and shorts. Let's bring the guys back on campus. And if all of these campuses have coronavirus outbreaks, and I don't think they all are going to, but a few might, then maybe we revisit our decision in a couple of weeks. We didn't risk anything by putting them in pads. They stayed in their helmets and shorts. I can't understand how that decision was not made. Like how they're, you know, if you're reading that room and you can see that it's a fairly clear split, then just keep status quo. We're going to move the schedule back two weeks. We're going to practice a little bit more, and we're just going to play it out a little. By canceling it so early, um, they put themselves in a little bit of a hard spot, A, in reversing their decision, and B, they kind of leave their players out there a little bit. Now, I don't know that a lot of them will transfer. Um, I just don't think that's going to happen because there's not a lot of spots available on other teams because of scholarship limits. But I mean, they put their they put their <laughs> they put their rosters in a little bit of a little bit of trouble there, and and I think the athletic directors have to be just really frustrated. I'm sure the coaches are too, with with the inability to push that decision a few weeks down the road, so that we had a clear understanding of how maybe this could or could be done. Again, visiting Sam McEwen of the Omaha World Herald. You can read his work online at omaha.com. Pushing it back. I think just talking to Bill Moose on this program last week and listening to interviews that that Ted Carter has done, I think that's what Nebraska was certainly pushing for, don't you think? Yes. I think think that, you know, there were some schools that wanted to play in early September, you know, two or three weeks ago. But once it became clear that there was some discomfort with practicing and pads and playing the games in early September, then delay was probably the, the direction they wanted to go in. Um, you know, the Big Ten was a little bit twicked in between. The one thing that the SEC had is when they made their decision, they knew that the coronavirus cases in a lot of those states are still really high. And, uh, you know, they don't have to worry about that yet. 
because they're not that close to their season. They're still 40 days away. Mm-hmm. Same thing in the Pac-12. California's coronavirus cases were really high. Um, they're unusually worried in the state of Oregon. They don't actually have that many cases there, but there's an unusual amount of concern about it spreading quickly. And so they bought themselves some time. In the Big Ten, there's some states that actually have really turned the corner um, and maybe weren't in as bad a shape as as some of the states in the Sun Belt. Nebraska is one of those. Honestly, New Jersey is. I mean, New mm-hmm. Jersey's not having an outbreak right now. Um, they're on the low. They're on the very low side of things. But then you had a couple of states. Um, I think there was some issue in Wisconsin, uh, specifically in Madison. Uh, there was some issue there, um, and I think I think there was some some growing concern again in Illinois and Ohio. Now Ohio just cleared football today, so that's good news for that state. But I think. The schools I mentioned there, Wisconsin, Illinois, Michigan, has shut down football for the fall, which reads a little more political than pragmatic. But, you know, there, so there were some states there where, you know, there was a big difference in perspective. And, and so where Nebraska's at from a governor, president, chancellor, AD, coach perspective is very different from where Jim Harbaugh is in respect to his governor. You know, you know what I'm saying? There's just a yeah. different alignment there. Um, Nebraska had alignment all the way up to the highest office in the state. I don't think Michigan or Michigan State had that. Yeah, and that, that didn't help their cause. Sam, this could really be disastrous for the Big Ten, I think. If those three big conferences pull this off and they don't have all the eligibility issues that they're going to have to deal with, they're going to be able to clear a senior class out, Bring in a new group of guys with the Big Ten's going to be just with a glut of rosters. That's going to be hard to sell on the recruiting trail, I would think, don't you? I do. Um, we're going to have to see how the eligibility thing plays out by Friday. Now, my sense of it is that the NCAA is not going to go to the you know, the proposal that the West Virginia AD has out there. He's the football oversight guy. Is everybody gets a free year, whether they play in the fall or the spring or not at all. Hmm. And so – that's the that's what he wants. Now I'm guessing that's what a lot of the Power Five schools want, uh, and they so they may get their way. And these kids may, at Alabama may play this fall. They may not lose a year of eligibility. Um, so it, it could be that what they want to propose is everybody gets a free year, so that those ACC, Big Twelve, and SEC schools are in the same hot pot <laughs> that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are if they go in the spring. If there is a difference in those in that option, so the option that the D1 Council put out was, if you play in half your team's games, you lose your year of eligibility. Now, my sense is, if that happens, then the ACC, the Big 12, and the SEC do not have scholarship or eligibility issues that the Big 10 and the Pac-12 would. And that's tough. I mean, that's um, you know, you're absolutely right about the recruiting trail. It becomes harder. Um, for what it's worth, you know. Just because there'll be, if there were a new scholarship limit, which I suspect there will be either way, um, let's say it's 100, you'll see teams that do not even try to carry 100. Um, it won't surprise me if a school says, you know, we're just going to carry our 85 and we're going to tell our seniors to <laughs> take care and uh, they can they can come back another, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna, to, you know, we're not going to sign, we're not going to keep all of our players, we're going to let some go and um, that would be hard to do, but I, I don't know that every team would go up to 100. I think Nebraska would try to accommodate as many as possible. 
knowing the kind of person that Scott Frost is and his team. Um, but I don't think every school can afford it. I mean, it's a lot of money. And you, once you put those scholarships on, then you have to be commensurate with other scholarships and other sports. And, um, you know, I'm not sure that other schools would do it. So that's a huge question mark. Um, and that will have that answer by Friday. I, and I don't know how it's going to turn out. Last thing for you, Sam, you talked about the money part of it. That i I, I got to believe the bean counters at North Stadium are trying to figure out how they're going to massage this for the next 12 months. Uh, I mean, I, th- th- I think there could be some really dark days ahead for the athletic department in the, in the coming weeks. What do you, how do you, do you get a read on that at all right now? Yeah, I'm praying for them. I mean, they have one of the hardest, most depressing jobs in the state right now. Um, now, that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, they, they're not, you know, out there treating people with COVID, but man, what a hard role uh, to be in at this moment to try to figure out who, uh, how you're going to make cuts, where you can make money, um, you know, what program is going to have less support. Heaven forbid you got to cut a couple of sports. I think that's on the table, and that, that's something that Nebraska never, ever wanted to do. Um, so, you know, there's there's a lot of different there's a lot of different things out there that they have to kind of work through. And, um, yeah, I mean, it could be really, really bad. It was going to be bad anyway, even if they played a fall season. Um, Moose brought that up last week, and I thought he was smart to do that because he's like, well, we were going to have two less home games either way. So we were, we were already going to be kind of in the hole. Um, but to have none at all and to not have that TV money at this moment is – it's just, you know, it's hard to hard to wrap your mind around. And, you know, just kind of like every recession, when you're in the – we're, we're getting hit with it right now. The, the repercussions don't hit for, you know, months. You know, and you're going to feel that for years to come. It, it, you know, it doesn't hit all at once. It, unfortunately, financial, you know, um, complications tend to linger. And, and so you, what you just hope is that – um, they're able to get a football season in, whether it's this fall or it's in the spring, um, and they're able to mitigate that damage as much as possible because whatever damage happens now um, will carry forth for a couple of years. It's just how that kind of stuff works, and you just feel awful. that No one works harder than Nebraska's athletic department in that area. No one. That's It's an incredible athletic department. They do well. They've always given money to the university side of things. You want to talk about people who do it right without – without breaking the rules and they care about the kids and they really care and they treat them right. And to see that happen to that department uh, is just, you know, profoundly unfair. Yeah. Going to be, going to be sad. Sam, we appreciate it. Thank you so much for the insight right now. Glad to welcome on board the program from the athletic Bill Landis, who does cover Ohio state sports. Bill, great to have you with us. Uh, how have you, how have you compartmentalized the last couple of weeks with all this news spinning around the big 10 and its football? I don't know that I have. <laughs> to be totally honest, it's it's been pretty difficult. Uh, the, the the week where they canceled, um, I went back and forth. I felt pretty good about maybe they're them getting a delay, and that didn't happen. And and now since then, we know that that places like Ohio State and and, and Nebraska to an extent, and and some of these parent groups or other schools are are not done putting up a fight. So. Uh, I don't have a firm grasp on what's happening, nor do I really think anybody does. Sean Wade, who's a terrific defensive player for the Buckeyes, his dad seems to really be riled up. I guess is he flying to Chicago later in this week to take part in a protest? What what is the latest with that? Yes, yeah, so so Sean Wade's dad, Randy Wade, is flying from 
Jacksonville, Florida, or I guess Orlando, Florida, technically, uh, up to Chicago on Thursday night with the intention of having a peaceful protest on Friday morning um, at or near the Big Ten offices in Rosemont, Illinois, right outside of Chicago. Uh, I'm not sure how much of a following he's going to have. I know some parents from Iowa had said they're going to be there to join him. Uh, I'm sure some Ohio State fans will be there to join him. I'm not totally sure if any other Ohio State parents are making the trip with him, but Randy um, has been very passionate about this from the jump, and, and I think that's an interesting perspective because he's the father of a kid in Sean Wade who, who doesn't have to play football, and he'll likely be a first-round pick next year. Sean could probably get paid tomorrow if he wanted to, whether that was endorsements or, or from agents or whatever, but but Randy is, is kind of at the forefront of this Ohio State fight. He he and Justin Fields, another guy who doesn't have much incentive other than, than just loving to play at Ohio State, so they're leading the charge. I, I'm not really sure what's going to come of it, but but yeah, he'll be there in Chicago on Friday. That's a great point. Neither guy has a, should really need to even need to have skin in the game at all because they're ready. They're set for the NFL. They're going to hear their names called next April or May or whenever the NFL decides to put their draft on. And yet they are fighting hard. And I, I, I think they've gained a lot of fans around the country for how hard they have pushed this. Bill, what kind of parental uh, support was behind this letter? Do you have a number of parents that signed on to this? Was it a majority uh, of the guys on the team, their folks that jumped on this? Yeah, I think it was majority. I don't. I don't have a hard number for you. Um, I've inquired about that. I've not gotten that. I don't think it was a fringe component by any means. Um, was it totally unanimous? Probably not. But but it was certainly a great majority of the parents at Ohio State who were behind that letter that they sent out, and and also behind helping Justin Fields. I think get his petition out there, which the last time I checked was over two hundred and fifty thousand signatures, which is pretty mm-hmm. insane. Um, so this is a pretty strong cohort here in Columbus of Ohio State parents. I think they're pretty much all on the same page with. To try to get something either back on track for this fall or at the very least try to get some answers about why this happened. Speaking of being on the same page, at Nebraska, from the governor on down to the head coach, they've all been on the same page. Has that been the case at Ohio State from, from the highest office in, in the state down through Ryan Day? Have they all been on the same page as far as you can tell? Uh, I'm sure if you ask the governor, he would say so because that'd be good politics. Um, but but he has not he has not really been out there um, showing support for Ohio State, and, and not, not I don't think because he doesn't want to. It just he doesn't hasn't gotten to that level yet. Um, the university president, Ohio State's in a weird position where it's between presidents. And the new president doesn't actually start until next week when the semester is supposed to start. So um, she was involved in, in the vote or non-vote, whatever it was, that when they decided to not do this. But she technically does not take office until next month. So we haven't heard from her. Um, there were some some people around Ohio State who sort of let it be known that she was in favor of delaying and not postponing the season. But the two most sort of vociferous people. Um, really the most vociferous person in this, uh, people in this have been the parents and, and some of the players and some of like the assistant coaches on the staff. But, but Ryan Day and Gene Smith, the head football coach and athletic director, are, are very aligned here. There's just not – it's not quite the same situation like you have in Nebraska where it's from the top of the state legis- legislative, you know, all the way down. Right, and, and one of the reasons I ask that, and you're a lot closer to Michigan than we are here, it doesn't seem like they're on the same page at all there, from their governor's office to Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh seems to kind of be fighting this thing by himself up there in Ann Arbor, and I know a Buckeye probably will never say something good about a Wolverine, but I, I just don't, I don't get the sense that, I think Harbaugh is fighting his own people to try to get something done. 
Yeah, it seems it seems to me that that's the case as well. And then the Michigan parents who put out a letter also addressed it to their university president because because mm-hmm. I think it's it's pretty well known that their university president was on on board with not playing either. And, and one of the craziest things that's happened in all of this, honestly, is that there are people in Ohio State's coaching staff and Ohio State parents retweeting things from Michigan parents and Michigan coaching staffs. Like they're in solidarity together, believe it or not, <laughs> trying to get a season off the ground here. And it's, it's rather remarkable. You know, it takes a pandemic to bring everybody together. Again, we're visiting Bill Landis from, from the athletic. He covers Ohio state. What's, what's the, the sentiment about the prospect of playing spring football? Because urban Meyer, the former coach of the Buckeyes has said, absolutely not. He thinks it's a terrible idea. What, what about, Gene Smith, Ryan Day, what kind of sense do you get? Do they feel like spring is doable, possible? Do they want to do this? Yes, uh, all of the above. Yes, I think I think they do, and it's it's a lot of optimism, obviously. But I, but I think they are energized to find a way to do it. Uh, I think they certainly want to do it. Ryan Day got emotional or borderline emotional, I guess I should say, when he was asked about just sort of how good this team could have been for Ohio State if this were a normal season. And he, he truly was on on the verge of tears, it looked like, when he was talking about just how talented they are or were going to be. And, and I think a lot of that's tied to Justin Fields because he's obviously a very talented quarterback. So if there's any way for Ohio State to somehow get this team, uh, as we were expecting it to look on the field, to compete for a championship, they're going to explore that option. Now, how realistic is that? I'm not sure. But, but yeah, they're – they're trying to do it. I don't think it's just lip service at Ohio State. Okay, my follow-up to that is, if there is football at the Big Ten level in the spring, do guys like Fields and Wade play with the NFL draft so close? Do you get a sense? I mean, obviously they're fighting so hard here. Maybe they would. Uh, Sean Wade's father, anyway, has has all but said that if they don't play in the fall, Sean's not going to play. Gotcha. Um, I think think Justin's a different story. And my line on that all along has been if, if somehow nobody plays this fall, which I think is still possible, and everyone is looking to play in the spring, and they find a way to make a spring season that includes everyone and the chance to play for a legitimate national championship, maybe even have a legitimate Heisman Trophy race, and the NFL were to play ball, and this is a lot of caveats, I think Justin Fields <laughs> would play in that scenario. Wow. So that's the only scenario I think you would play in. Yeah, wow. Okay, Bill Landis again with us from The Athletic talking about this whole story from the Ohio State perspective. Bill, I think I saw today that the state of Ohio has approved high school football for this fall. Is that correct? That's right. Uh, high schools are going to play, and the University of Cincinnati is going to play. The Browns and the Bengals are going to play, and Ohio State is not. That's going to be hard for Buckeye fans, isn't it? I mean, if there's a game Friday night up the road and, and you, can, you can watch the NFL action on Sunday, I mean, that's, that's almost another gut punch in this thing, isn't it? It's going to be really hard, yeah. And I'm, I'm sure people uh, in Nebraska can, can empathize with that. I think one thing that's come out of this on a quick tangent is, is I think people kind of understood how important football is in the state of Nebraska, um, but the way that they fought to get their season back on track, and, and it's obviously the same way here in Ohio. And Ohio State's the flagship program. It's, it's the one that kind of brings everybody together. There are factions for pro football and obviously high school football, but everyone seems to love Ohio State. And the idea that the football in some capacity will be played in the state of Ohio, but the Buckeyes won't be playing is really really hard to wrap your mind around it sure is all right last thing for you um you know we're all sitting here a week a week it was a week ago today that the, the announcement got made that the season was done and yet we've not heard anything since that day from the league office or the commissioner are people there baffled why we haven't had some kind of follow-up from the league office yes 
Yeah, totally. I'm baffled. The team's baffled. The fans are baffled. The, the parents are baffled and they're angry. Um, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like it's from a public relations perspective, this is being handled about as poorly as it possibly could be. I, I don't think that everyone is in agreement that the decision itself was wrong, but I think everyone is in agreement that the process with how they got there and the fact that they've been not been transparent at all about it um, is, is really wrong. So yeah, everyone here is waiting for answers like they are across the big 10. I don't know if we're going to get them. I think maybe they're going to wait until they have something to tell us about what the spring might look like before they tell us, you know, what led them to make this decision. Do you think there was a vote or not? Uh, Like a hard raise your hand, who's in, who's out kind of vote? Maybe not. Um, I think there was a discussion, and from that discussion, the consensus in the room was made, and and that's how the decision was made. If there there had been any idea what it might have been? Would it have been nine five ten four eight six? What do you think? I, I've heard so many different numbers that I would even hesitate to say what 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 it was. I know like the initial report was twelve to two, and then there was some stuff about eight to six. Uh, I've heard it all over the board, but I would <laughs> say if I averaged it, if I if I averaged out what I've heard, it'd be somewhere in the middle, maybe yeah. something like like ten four or or nine five maybe, but certainly not a majority vote. This is this is wild. Well, Bill, we'll we'll continue to follow this uh, as as we all do throughout the the conference. We just wanted to have you on because the Buckeyes have really been carrying the flag with their players, their parents, and we just wanted to hear some thoughts from your end of it. We appreciate you taking some time with us here tonight. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for being on, guys. Appreciate it. Greg Sharp, Ben McLaughlin, Austin Orman in our studios. Brett Whitty also a part of the program tonight. During the summer months, we like to do a little feature nightly called seven on seven it's brett's brett's favorite thing we do all year long he just pines for it all off season and so tonight uh, we're going to kind of we're going to do it a couple times a week now called beyond the headlines and so and brett you can jump in here i mean i i just i you know when, when we knew the season got canceled as the first thing i i thought of was well brett's going to want to do something like this yeah you know i've been pushing hard for this for probably six years now and it's it's just great to get it done you know it's a long time coming <laughs> it is it is <laughs> what was it well, this is this is a piece of cake for you guys right because this this was you mean you're used to this with seven on seven there is absolutely no shortage of news that helps things out there's always <laughs> plenty to talk about and on on that same thought listeners this is where we want to prop up our text line we encourage you if you have any stories anything you might make for a good topic send it our way on yeah. the text line drop us a link and i'm not promising we'll get it in but if you drop us a link and we use it leave your name we'll see if we can shout you out on air then beautiful that's 531-546-86 that's our u.s cellular text line the official wireless provider of the huskers all right boys take it away let's jump into it so you guys let off the show with this and we're going to touch on this a little bit more at the top of the eight o'clock hour with our top 10 uh but fernando tatis jr broke one of baseball's unwritten rules and swinging at a 3-0 pitch in a game the padres led by seven runs last night against the rangers that swing resulted in a grand slam and earlier in the show we heard which side you guys would take in this argument between tatis and the fun police so we're going to ask a different question if you could hit a homer and bat flip off of one pitcher who would it be and why Oh, man, there's like three that come to mind immediately. I think number one for me is Fernando Rodney. If I ever hit a home run against Fernando Rodney, it would be. Is it because the, the hat's tilted? Oh, and just the way his stupid <laughs> bow and arrow thing. Like, you better believe every base that I touched, I'd whip out an arrow and shoot it into the stands. I. I, I I might launch my bat into the stands. I mean, I, I mean, I, it might be one of those deals where, like, you flip 
flip the helmet up in the air, you know, throw the batting gloves <laughs> off, and, uh, you know, Take do the, the happy off. Gilmore riding the bull, doing the bull <laughs> dance around the bases. Oh he, he would never forget that that he hit that I hit a home run off of him because I would never have to do it again. I mean, that would be I that would be it for me. So he wouldn't <laughs> ever get a chance to retaliate. But yeah, that. He or Pedro Strope would be right at the top of the list. See, for me, I would want to do it off one of the game's greats just to go, I hit one off one of the game. So give me Clayton Kershaw. I don't have any dislike of Clayton Kershaw, but if I hit one of those curveballs for his out of the park, I'd be flipping that bat all over the place. <laughs> I'm going a completely different direction. My roommate was a pitcher in college for a couple of years before he transferred in, so I'd love to have one up on him. There you go. Uh, one for two against him in my life. Didn't get one over the fence. <laughs> hey, 500's could... average is pretty good though He'll you know if he would groove me one high and tight and i could turn on it and flip that bat i would hold that over him for the rest of his life <laughs> yeah, Very the good. one that comes to mind for me would be madison Bumgarner back in yeah. back in the, yeah. the 2014 2015 era see brett's along my line one of the game's elites do oh, it off yeah. that guy that's the nope. good stuff you got nope. the crooked hat dude as you yeah. picked yeah, there, there. I mean, there's. I could give. I could rattle off of about ten names of guys that I would love to just pimp one on. <laughs> Strope is up there for me as well, Ben. I'll, I'll say that. All right, uh, topic number two. Uh, you know, I had to hit you with the soccer question here. Uh, rumors have been swirling about a possible departure from Barcelona for Lionel Messi, as they do almost each season. Uh, reports coming out of Catalonia this year that the decision for Barcelona comes down to keeping either Messi or the court current board of directors due to how sour the relationship between the two has turned. With this current controversy, what are some situations in the sporting world where you remember an owner or board member causing the loss of a major athlete or even maybe preventing an mm. athlete from signing in the first place? That's a good one. I mean, the LeBron situation in Cleveland was Dan bad. Dan Snyder or not? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dan Gilbert. Gilbert. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that got toxic, didn't it? That was really toxic. Um, that letter that he wrote after after he left was not good. Yeah. In Comic Sans. Yeah, that one that's yeah. the that's the one that jumps to my mind the most is is LeBron in Cleveland. And then he goes back, <laughs> right? Hey, he would, Gilbert had no, no, no problem come, welcoming him back well, with open arms. How about uh, in the, he wasn't the owner, but Jerry Krause and, and uh, Phil Jackson yeah. and that whole thing in the, the Bulls. Yeah, right. and well, Scotty Pippen almost. Well, Scotty Pippen wanted sure. to leave. Yeah, there you go. Krause, so. Right. And, but Krause yeah. wasn't the owner, but he was a GM. It's same same principle yeah. there. Yeah, any kind of upper management. Another one that comes to mind that like has been blocking some free agents would be James Dolan. Think about how many yeah. how many players would have gone to the New York Knicks over the last 15, 20 years that haven't. Brett, he's one. easily one of the, the worst owners in professional sports. Dolan's it's, right it's, there. It's him and Dan Snyder are probably the two one, that you two. think of. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we'll stick with basketball for topic number three. 538.com recently released a new stat it plans to track throughout the rest of the NBA bubble. Not a traditional one and not even a super analytical one for 538, but the website will be tracking curse words per 48 minutes moving forward. <laughs> the website cited Carmelo Anthony as the prime example of an athlete making TV companies keep their fingers on their dump buttons. So who's one past or present athlete you would trust to be mic'd up for a broadcast and one you wouldn't? I mean, I hate to keep bringing him up in every single thing that we do, but Peyton Manning for me, I mean, I, I, I mean, I think you could trust Peyton, I think, or like a guy like Russell Wilson, you know, I, yeah, sure. I think you could, you know, um, 
Who would I not trust? J.R. Smith. How about Tiger Woods? <laughs> oh, Tiger, yeah. Justin Thomas. <laughs> does, does Tiger get get pretty? Oh yeah. Oh, I mean, okay. they they Tiger the... Woods. You suck. Is that not the greatest clip of all time? <laughs> he says he he hits a bad drive and then says he sucks to himself. I mean, so many times he's you know cranked to drive off the one direction or the other, and it's you know it's dry. And this was this was before there were no crowds, and so man, now it's just even worse. Marcus Peters would be bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some of the trash-talking DBs. Pretty much any the, quarterback. Deshaun Jackson yeah. would be bad. Marshawn Lynch wouldn't be great, but I'd love Sherman. to listen to it. Oh, Kevin Garnett back in the day. That'd be a, oh, that'd good. Be a oh. Yeah. KG. Ultimate trash-talker. And you know who also was a pretty darn good trash-talker was MJ. Yeah. They yeah, said he was, he was a, one of the worst. That would be fun. They said he got real personal at times. So. Yes. Okay, from that same era, John Stockton would probably be a guy you could probably mic up and be okay. I feel like yeah. Magic yeah. Johnson would be fun. Probably. He'd be fine. Yeah, he'd, yeah. he'd be, like, almost encouraging you the on the The thing floor, is, the colorful right. language guys would be the best ones to listen to. Well, yeah. True. <laughs> if, you could, if you could hear it, if you were listening to an un... Well, that's you know, what I mean. Yeah, you you got to get the uncensored, uncensored broadcast. If if there was a, an uncensored channel of mic'd up athletes, like a subscription, like a Netflix, just take my money. Like I, I would, <laughs> I, I would watch that. All How many day. zeros on this check do I need to write? Oh yeah. NHL, NHL. Listen to NHL trash talking. Listen to those oh. guys. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I mean, you could Half learn some. It's going to be in freaking Scandinavian of some. You could sort. learn some new words rather quickly. <laughs> Oh, that's good. All right. Well, sticking with the, the NBA topic, Boston Celtics uh, guard Gordon Hayward has been hit with the injury plague for what feels like the 10th time now in his career. He's been ruled out for the next four weeks of the NBA playoffs due to yeah. an ankle sprain, putting the Celtics in a tough spot with facing the 76ers in the first round and then possibly Toronto if they do end up moving on. Uh, the Celtics' chances are hurt, but they aren't completely down and out without Hayward. But on that note, who are the guys that are so critical to their team that any injury during this playoff run is is probably going to end their season? Giannis. Giannis, yeah. Yep, that's Giannis Dame. And, I, I mean, Dame doesn't have a chance anyway, but Dame. Do you think CJ could lead that team, though, CJ and Nurkic? No. No. CJ's playing with a broken back right now, so. Oh, he is. Okay, yeah. well. There you go. Yeah, LBJ, I mean, kind of the obvious ones that that, you, uh-huh. you, that they need those guys to make the deep run. And that's part of it is who stays healthy. That's It's usually yep. a little bit of luck that goes into winning a championship because you get guys hurt or not hurt. Yeah, you're right on Gordon. He's missed more games as a Celtic than he's played. It's probably not it's even close. A couple of things with Gordon when Hayward. It, you should look at a photo of him coming out of college and then look at a photo of him <laughs> now. It looks like two completely yeah. different people. And the other yeah. thing I think of when I hear Gordon Hayward is, like, he was a video game streamer for a while and, and did some video game streaming, and he was, like, you know, on the headset talking to his teammates. They were, like, in between games. He's like, yeah, I got time for one more. And then his wife comes in. He's like, no, no, you don't. You don't have time for one more. Turn it <laughs> off. And so then he turned his video he turned his video games off because his wife told him, no, he didn't have time. That video is hilarious. J- how about James Harden? He's pretty valuable, right, to the Rockets? Yeah. I mean, yeah and, R- and Russ isn't going to lead that team to – Right, finals or anything. They're my they're my dark horse in the West. Uh, I think they could get hot. Harden, Austin, yeah, I think Austin. By the way, broke our trend. At least he picked uh, somebody other than the Lakers to come out of the West. I'm proud of you, Austin. 
thanks. I, you know, Tim's not on, and usually he's the contrarian, so I guess I'm uh, his spiritual successor tonight. But <laughs> Philan. Tim something, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Something. What was that Greek film he threw at us last I, week, Ben? What the heck was that? German <laughs> horror film or something. Yes. Some Slaughterhouse German horror ago. film. Oh, he, I may no. have to ban him from Flix Picks because whatever he says, everybody's going to go, what? I ain't doing that. Are you kidding I had me? to explain to Tim, like, you realize this is your reputation, right? <laughs> like, you're the one suggesting this to people, and this is what people are going to think that you are like. <laughs> He is. That's, He's definitely uh, outside the box when it comes to his film <laughs> selection. And very Didn't sarcastically, watch Moneyball, but we'll watch uh, Slaughterhouse. Very sarcastically, I was like, Tim Wolves, at least in German. Can we at least read German <laughs> it subtitles? Is. I mean, listen to German. He's like, yeah, it's in German. You got to read yeah. the subtitles. You got to read I'm the like, subtitles <laughs> to follow the movie. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't. I didn't quite get to that this weekend. Just didn't quite make it there. That didn't make it on your list. No. Dang it, Ben! You told me you were going to do that. And let me know I what know that was. was. All right. Well, we'll stick with the international flavor here for our fifth topic. So, a man in Australia made headlines after he punched a great white shark that was biting his wife while they surfed off the coast of New South Wales. So, two questions for you guys: What's the most heroic thing you've done to protect your wife, and what would your action plan be <sighs> fighting a shark? Didn't Mike Tyson do something with a shark here recently? Probably. Or am I dreaming that? It is Mike Tyson. I, 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 I kind of feel like he like punched a shark or something. Yeah, I think there was some kind of special he was a part of like a week or two ago on ABC or something where he punched a shark. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I know Michael Phelps like raced a shark or like they yeah. did something like that on Shark Week yeah, a few yeah. years ago. Mm. Yep. Yeah, Mike Tyson What's... did punch a shark during Shark Week. Right. That's what I thought. <laughs> so, wait, in a, in a week where we celebrate sharks, we had Mike he punches Tyson one. physically assault one? Smacked one. Yes. That's what you're saying. I mean, if you're ever getting attacked by a shark, that's what they say to do is punch it in the nose because that's like the most sensitive part yeah. on the shark. And you're, you're not going to outswim one, that's for sure. So You're <laughs> not going to fight. I would you're not fight. Something I've done heroic for my wife. Ugh. <laughs> Which is bad because not a lot comes to mind. I mean, I wouldn't really call it heroic because nothing ended up happening. But there was one time, and, and she was just my girlfriend at the time. Um, we, it was at night and middle of the night, and it sounded like someone just sounded like Brian Erlacher put his pads on and went through our, our apartment door. That's what it sounded like. And without even really thinking, like. Let's be honest. Most people that that bust into an apartment in the middle of the night could probably take me and and probably have some kind of weapon to help take me down. But my gut instinct, like I jumped out of bed and like ripped the bedroom door open like I was ready to speaking take on the world. Yeah, it was like it was like Mike Tyson smelling (laughs) blood in the water. Like I probably would have gone down, but I would have gone down swinging. And it like it was one of those things where like you didn't even really think about it. It just kind of you just did it. And then afterwards, I was like, huh. What if that guy was 6'5", 230, and had a bat? I would have had no shot. <laughs> I, I, we had just moved to Lincoln, and Amy was driving around with the girls and hit a curb and blew not one but two tires. And I remember being at work, and she's like, we're stranded. So I hike out there and take care of the car and get it to the – that's not overly heroic, but that's maybe, boys, about as good as I can do here. <laughs> that, that was one that actually came to mind was just like a – like change car trouble even yeah. yeah i mean it's not yeah, not a, heroic it fits the criteria you can be a hero for a day yeah it's not as good of a story if, as uh maybe opening the door on someone with a bat obviously but 
Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> not much would have happened. The ending of that story probably wouldn't have been good, but well, we wouldn't have you know, gotten it. The, the thought that the counts. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving, moving on topic number six here. Alabama head coach Nick Saban told ESPN this morning that he fears a spring college football season would feel more like a JV season. Saban believes that pro prospects will opt out en masse with the NFL draft slated to start on April 29th. Do you guys think Nick Saban is being dramatic with this, or do you see his point? It's no, I think it's funny that he described it as a J- JV. Imagine Nick Saban saying that. Like That's just hilarious. That's a JV the, season. Yeah, how about saying that to his kids or on scholarship that it'd still be there? I think he has a point. We, we just had Bill Landis of The Athletic on, and he said Sean Wade from Ohio State would definitely be gone if there's not fall football, but he thinks Justin Fields might be back. I think you'll have a fair number of guys that bailed. Does that turn it into a JV season? No, not necessarily. It'll water it down some, but I don't think it totally goes to a JV season. I can see where he's saying that because, I mean, there's probably – in the neighborhood of 6 to 12% of Alabama football players that would fall into that category every year of players that would opt out. And so I can see Nick Saban saying, well, if I have to play with three, four, five, six, seven backups every year, it's basically like my second string. So I, I see where he's coming from on that for sure. It's funny how he described that, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is Alabama's backups could probably be starters anywhere, so I don't know what he's talking about. Good point. Personally. Well, hey, once Nick Saban gets run out of Tuscaloosa, he can take over a, a high school JV program and see what it's like. See what it's really like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll wrap up beyond the headlines with this. So the Los Angeles Lakers announced that if they make it out of the first round of the NBA playoffs, they plan to wear their Black Mamba edition jerseys throughout the remainder of the playoffs to honor Kobe Bryant. So if you guys could make one team wear its alternate or throwback jerseys for an entire Ooh. playoff run, mm. which team in uniform would you choose? Mm. Any sport it doesn't have to be basketball if that helps. You know what? You know what my favorite uniforms are. One, one of I would almost say my all-time favorite, but the first one that comes to mind is the old school Tampa Bay Buccaneers with the the, the light orange, the cream sickles with the with the Buccaneer chewing the uh, the wheat on the helmet. That, that is that's a good uniform. Huge yeah, fan me, of that one. Give me the shorts that the Chicago White Sox used to wear when Bill Beck oh, was their oh owner. <laughs> Put those boys in shorts for a season. That's rough. <laughs> that is rough. See those guys' knees. That's good. <laughs> How about you two? Brett looks like he's thinking. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for some of those throwback powder blues. So even like the, the Brewers or the Royals throwback powder blues wouldn't be bad. Honestly, the old Devil Rays throwbacks aren't too yeah. bad on the baseball end. And, I mean, the Vancouver Grizzlies are up there. I'm not a big fan of them. I could deal with them for one playoff run. That'd be something different because there's no NBA team with that color scheme, really. So those would be the first few that come to mind for me. Yeah, the the ones that I was that I was thinking of actually they they did this year for the NBA they brought back the those teal Memphis Grizzlies ones from the from the nineties and early two thousands and then they brought the the old Raptors ones back the pinstripes the, yeah the yeah. pinstripes oh, yeah. with with the with the old timey dinosaur look and then uh, I forget, there's a couple other ones but I think they brought some of those NBA ones from the late nineties that were. Kind of that video game age started, which for a Magic lot of had is, some pinstripe ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Magic had really good ones. I mean, if we're talking about pinstripes, the Bulls' black pinstripe ones are pretty good. Ooh. You like those, did you? Yeah, yeah. 
Solid. You don't like them because they're black. You hate mm-hmm. black uniforms. Yeah, <laughs> the not Bulls. A fan. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the Bulls going with the black uniforms, but I can do pinstripes. Ben Adam Kruger from KM3 in Omaha is getting after us on Twitter. He said, uh, how could you guys forget the movie Goodnight Mommy? I couldn't tell you what I had for dinner three nights ago, but for some strange reason, I remember that movie title from last week. So, oh Goodnight Mommy. Oh, my God. Mommy. I forgot that was the name of the movie. Oh, my. Good grief. Oh, Tim. That's awesome. Good Brett's going to watch that thing tonight. You watch. Brett's going to go find Goodnight Does, Mommy okay, in German. Okay, let's see if it even has – Does it? Let's take bets if it has a, a Rotten Tomatoes rating. I, I, this is one of those ones that probably has like a 95% from just no reason at all. Oh, it is. It actually got good reviews. It's 85% <laughs> on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, See, when, when the movie like The Artist wins Best Picture, that's when I, I You're right. to question the taste of... Right. Oh my gosh, guys. You should see the... Ma- <laughs> I'm just, I'm done. I'm not going to go there. See you tomorrow, Ben. We think them up. We count them down. It's Top Ten Tuesdays on Sports Nightly. And tonight, um, we thought we'd talk about the unwritten rule, the top ten unwritten rules in sports. And this is coming off of Fernando Tatis, the former Hickman Harrier who last night um, swung away with the bases loaded on a 3-0 pitch to Homer in a game that his team was already comfortably in front, and it drew the ire of the opposition, so much so that a couple player player and a manager have been suspended uh, from that from last night. This one was my idea. Was this one an easy one or tough one to put together? Yeah, I think for me I had to – I wanted them all to come from my head. I, I you know, if they're unwritten rules, I wanted to be able to think of them myself. I, I don't know if that, you know, has much bearing on on anything really, but I, I really wanted to try and come up with them by myself and see how many of these I have violated or watched people violate throughout uh, my sporting experience, both playing and watching. So, it it was it was not that difficult to come up with ten. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you, Ben, there. Mostly this is just a bummer about how formal and rigid and stodgy we can get about sports. Like, this isn't just <laughs> going out on the schoolyard and playing. It's, there's all this stuff, all these rules that you're supposed to know that no one ever tells you. I mean, I could come up with them, and it's fine that some of them are in place for a reason, and I get it, but let's just play ball, enjoy it for Pete's sake, please. There's kind of an etiquette, though, right, to 100%. most sports that, you know, if you, it's just the right way or the wrong way to do things. I, I Probably half of mine are baseball. And so I start my number 10 is with baseball. And it's don't cross the mound. Don't run across the pitcher's mound. If you make an out and you're headed to the third base dugout, you're not supposed to. That almost just seems so so simple that that should be really easy for people to know and yet guys have been known to do it and i guess ben it's just to show the pitcher up or just to say i you think you own this mound you don't my next at bat i'm gonna get you yeah i mean it's almost one of those things that it sounds silly to say because it's just like it it's in your head you just, it's just not something that you just like when you're in the batter's box when you're when you're cleaning out your spot you don't kick dirt on home plate you know you right. feel like it's something that you shouldn't have to say but maybe we should <laughs> So that's my number 10. All right, I'll go next. Why not? Uh, my number 10 uh, has to do with walking on something, but I'm changing sports and going to golf, and there's always that guy that walks on your putting line. <laughs> you, just, you just have no regard for, for anything, and that's when, you, that's when you know you're dealing with 150 
shooter golfer you know a 36 handicap type golfer somebody that just doesn't know what they're doing you know you're get you're lining up your putt and all of a sudden someone's they're late to the green they they took seven shots to get there and they're walking over to the ball and they just walk right over where you're trying to <laughs> trying to line up your putt so or not that a, it affects anything it's just not something that you do how about a group of six golfers using three sets of clubs would that that would qualify? be a problem that, yeah. that, that seems to be more acceptable in, in some parts to the country. Uh, maybe it's a San Diego thing that you just that break rules. Be. Wasn't that uh, San Luis Obispo? Is that what Yeah, that, that's where that, it was. That, that's that right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. All right. I'll go to a new sport entirely. I go to the gridiron football here. And not going for the knees and letting the victory formation play out at the end of the game. Yeah. You know, if a team goes to the victory formation, you're not supposed to, you know, push through the line or go for the quarterback's knees to force a fumble and – Teams have done it in the not-too-recent past and gotten absolutely railed on for it. I, I totally get playing to the final whistle and trying to go hard, but you don't go for the knees. You just don't. There, there's a line in there somewhere. I think it was it. Dirk Cutter's it Tampa was. Bay Buccaneers that were doing that. Yeah. That's right. And you see it. It's more often than you would think, and it's such a dirty move and leads to a brawl, and it kind of just messes up the end of a game. One team's clearly going to win. That's why they've gone to that victory formation, and the defense is supposed to stand down, but they don't. My nine was Ben's ten. This is where I've got you got to walk around the green. Don't be walking through guys' putting lines. <laughs> so I, I line up with you. I'm just one ahead of you. I got that at number nine. Nice. All right, my number nine um – it's baseball related and it's not something you see too often greg we've seen it in college a few times we've even seen it within our league and i'm not going to say who it is but they may or may not have played for a national championship recently uh in college baseball in the big 10 conference but stealing bases when you're up a bunch of runs i mean you're up six seven eight runs and you've got teams stealing bases on you uh, I will call this team out because I have no respect for the way they run their program. Oregon State did it to us a few times where yeah. they've got guys stealing bases. And um, that one Big Ten team that, that I won't call out that, that played against Vanderbilt last year, they did that a few times too. Just don't do it. I mean, you're stealing bases up seven, eight runs. You're taking extra bases on pass balls and wild pitches. So just, just have a little respect for, for what's happening. I got so tired of seeing those guys in surprise, didn't you? Oh, yeah. And I think they got tired of seeing me, too. <laughs> Hank on line one. <laughs> Funny enough, the guy that started this whole discussion last night, Tatis Jr., actually stole third base up 6 nothing. earlier did. tonight. He did, yeah. 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 In- incredibly, entirely brazen. I don't know how much I'm here for it, how much I'm not. I just think it's kind of funny. But number nine for me, don't talk to your opponent's ball. You know, I don't golf. I can see how golfers would take offense to that. You know, it's normal to talk to your own ball. Stay fair. Get in the hole stay straight that sort of stuff but you know there's just bad juju talking to someone else's ball it's it's cheating it's tampering you're just not supposed to do it stay away (laughs) all right up to number eight for me and i'm going to the sport of soccer and one of the unwritten rules in soccer is if somebody gets hurt you kick the ball out of bounds to get everybody a chance to kind of reset Uh, it's kind of a courtesy thing it's a neat i think it's a neat tradition that soccer has so it makes my list a number eight. I mean, those guys are hurt every 10 seconds, though. So <laughs> well, it's a lot flop, of kicking balls out of bounds. Yeah, the flopping is a, has been an issue in the past. All right, we're going to go from. Sorry, we're Brett. Gonna go, we're going to go from one dribbling sport to the next, and I'm going to basketball and dribbling out the ball. Um, you know, we've seen a, a few a few times where, and this goes both ways, where the Kansas Kansas State game where the guy stole the ball and the brawl Dunked ensued. It. Yeah, take your loss. And then on the other side, 
let's dribble the ball out. We don't need to – even when you're up 20 or so and, you know, there's a two-second differential, you don't need to get that shot up. Take your shot right. clock violation. Let the other team dribble it out. Go home. We, again, this isn't something that we should have to talk about. But there's been three or four instances in college basketball the last year or two where this hasn't gone yeah. like it necessarily ha- should. So I, I feel like we're going to call attention to it right now. The, the worst kind is, is, yeah, the mama kid, you're right. The worst kind is the guy, the team that's ahead has the ball. They can dribble the clock out, and right toward the end, the guy goes in and dunks it. Yeah. And you're like, really? You're up 18 or whatever. Why would you need to go dunk that right there? Crazy. Yeah. All right. We talked about a couple dribbling sports. I'm going to talk about a little dribbler here at number eight. Don't bunt to break up a no-hitter. Now, oh, full disclosure, full disclosure. this is one I would totally break if it came to it. I love the feeling of bunting for a base hit. It makes me Austin. feel alive. Some would say it's a coward's way out and it's cheap. I would say feel the ball or don't shift. That's, that's where I'm at with it. <laughs> I'm going to buzz the tower on you the next Man, time. Austin. <laughs> <laughs> it's understandable, but I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to at least give it a shot. I'm brazen. I'll do it. All right. Up to number seven. And, and Ben, Ben, I'm copying Ben's list. He, he had this one. Don't steal a base when you're ahead by a bunch of runs. It's just kind of cheesy. It's kind of cheap. Um, it, 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 that chaps my high when that happens. So I've got that at my number seven. Yeah. Don't be a jerk. How hard is that? Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. My number seven this is the first time we've gone to hockey. You just don't touch the goalie. You don't do it. I mean, it's a penalty if you do it in play, goaltender interference. You stay away from them on, on the dead dead ball, dead puck whistles. Um, and in, in, in between, that's why you see those defensemen get in front of those guys. You touch the goalie, you're asking for a fight. So don't touch him. Just don't do it. <laughs> Another thing you don't touch, Greg had at number 10, the not crossing over the mound. I mean, pitchers are some of the most superstitious people in baseball and the most territorial, too. I don't blame them. I mean, the yeah. mound is a very lonely place to be. you got to make it feel as, as much like home as you can. And my old high school baseball coach actually was so protective of his mound that even if you hit the mound with a throw from center field during in and out, you'd be in trouble. <laughs> very so, good. Nice. Don't, don't cross I- it. Don't touch it at all. Uh, my number six, I'm hockey as well. There's a long tradition in hockey, and it sometimes works, sometimes doesn't, is if you win your conference final and win the Prince of Wales trophy or the Campbell trophy for the other title, you're not supposed to touch it because that's not ultimately the trophy you want to get. You want to win the Stanley Cup. So there's a tradition in hockey, unwritten rule, that you don't touch the conference championship trophies. Guys have broken that and gone on and won the Cup anyway. And guys who don't touch it lose the cup. But it's it's a, one of those unwritten rules in hockey. Don't touch the conference championship trophy. Good one. Uh, my number six, Austin, you had it number 10. And I, I wrote it a little differently, but I suppose it's the same idea. In football, don't run up the score. You're at the six-yard line. You're up 28. Go to a knee. Just kill the clock. And that goes for you defensive linemen too. You don't need to be swiping at the ball swiping at the center, diving at knees, dirt cutter. I know you're probably listening to Sports Nightly tonight. (laughs) Um, Yeah, just victory formation. Let's just get this thing over with and get to the locker room show. You know, just think about how many games then get extended by that because then you got to line up and kick the PAT, then you got to kick the ball off, and your defense has to go back out there and defend a couple more snaps. It's just a bad thing all around. Not only is it dangerous, it's annoying. 
And that's kind of where I go with my number six as well. The, the one retaliatory plunk rule, unwritten version, that is, in baseball. You know, it's basically the equivalent of letting your younger sibling punch you in the arm after you knock him down a little bit. Get out of your system. Things are equal. Let's move on. But a sub-unwritten rule is just don't throw at someone's head after that. Yeah. Very good. Safety. Safety first. Yes. Yeah. All right, to the top five we go, and I, again, I'm, I'm following Ben on some of these, but I go to basketball, and then don't dunk when dribbling out the clock. That, that was my number, <laughs> my number five. Don't be a jerk is one thing, but that's that's don't be an idiot. I mean, that's that's yeah. cr- that's 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 even further further up the line. Uh, my number five, Greg. I'll copy you this time, and you had it at number eight. Soccer possession after injury, kick the ball out of bounds, um, and, and kind of let things reset, and then let the other team kind of take over. I didn't know this when I was new to soccer and I was watching with my brother. I'm like, what are you doing? Steal the ball, go score a goal. And he's like, no, it's <laughs> just not something that you do. So I learned that rather quickly. So I've got the soccer possession here at number five. Brett, shout out to you. <laughs> All right, my number five has already been said. Greg, you just had it at number six. It's not raising the conference finals trophy with that, uh, you know, that aura of there's always more to go. There's always something more you can accomplish. Yep, yeah, very good. All right, uh, number four for me is well, which one did I have on here? It is – did I do a steal? I did the steal the base. I got two fours on here. All right. My number four is don't talk to a pitcher when he's got a no-hitter going. Stay away from him. Let him concentrate. Uh, I feel bad for those guys sometimes because they're all by themselves. They'd probably like somebody to distract them a little bit, but it's an age-old unwritten rule. Leave the pitcher who's got a no-no alone. Yes, no-no is a no-no when it comes to the talking Speaking of talking, uh, that has to do with my number four. Don't talk during my backswing. I mean, that's <laughs> how many times do you hear that? Come on, your golf? buddies don't do that to you. Again, just – and the worst – I mean, arguably worse than just starting talking in the backswing is if you're talking the whole time and all of a sudden you stop on the on the backswing. That, that, that messes me up just as much as it does when, when you – like all of a sudden happens. We were playing golf this weekend, my brother-in-law – was standing over his ball, and right during the backswing, a train just blew his horn. And, and obviously, like, I don't know why he kept swinging. I would have stopped my swing, but he barely made contact with the ball, dribbled about three feet, and we were all just laughing. We're like, all right, that's one. You're, now you're hitting two from the tee box. That's no good. But how, just, how about the course? The courses that have a tee box near a road and cars go by and yeah, honk right when you're in horns. the middle of the backswing, yeah. yeah. All right, number four for me, uh, kind of similar to Ben's eight about the, the dribbling out the, the clock and whatnot. I think another unwritten rule along those same lines is that you pass the ball to a rookie or a young guy with the shot clock winding down if you're up. It's kind of just funny. It's been a thing in basketball forever that, you know, you kind of treat the ball like a live grenade and you force the little rookies to fall on it. But really it's pointless because it goes down as a dead ball team turnover, not an individual turnover. But for some reason that's persisted. You always just pick out the fresh meat and give them the, give them the ball. <laughs> Get in the stack column, baby. Get at least a shot attempt up. All right, my number three, top three. I'm back to hockey. And one of the unwritten rules in hockey is don't take a shot after the whistle. Uh, you get really frowned upon if you rip one off after the whistles happen and you fire one at the goalie toward the net. Yeah. Uh, so that's my hockey. That's number three for me. Man, that's a good one too. I mean, I, I even when you do that in the NHL, the video game, it's an immediate fight. Like you just go right to a fight when that happens. It's just not right. something that you do at all. Oh, that's great. All right, my number three. I'm surprised that it made a list, and this makes Austin's list. And and it, and it surprised me that that it made it on here because anymore Major League Baseball is just so soft. 
But back in the day, when it came time to retaliate, you, you throw at a guy one time and it's done, and you th- and you put one in between their numbers in the back. I mean, yep. it, and, and and players used to not have a problem with it. They used to expect it, and as soon as they got hit, it was over with. It's done. You move on. You keep playing. But now there's fines, there's ejections, there's bench clearing brawls, there's Twitter beef, there's all this stuff. Baseball's changed so much, but. Man, you used to love that 10 years ago when someone would pimp a home run or there'd be trash talk or someone would slide with their spikes up to be a little dust up. Next day, you're wearing one, and then it's over. And, and players who played in that era, Ben, will say, we, we managed our own game or we, you know, that was the way we, we handed out justice. And, and so you're right. Once it was done, it was over. Either side's like, ah, you're one, we're one, we're gone. Let's just play ball from here on. I think baseball's gone backwards by – kind of pushing that thing to the side. I would agree. I would very close to agree with uh, Greg here. My number three is not talking to a pitcher during a no-hitter. I think this is by far the most superstitious thing uh, pitchers have going for them at least, and it's to the point where I'm almost surprised a guy like Zach Greinke hasn't made his teammates take like a monastic vow of silence during a no-no bit or something. Like, it is that big a deal, I think, for some of those guys. You don't talk to me. And it even extends into the broadcast booth where, you know, there's a stigma if you mention it. We're not supposed it, it to mention it. Up. Yeah. So don't tell, don't tell Nate Rohr that, first of all. He, he is so <laughs> far on the other end of that spectrum um, that that's the case. And also, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's just such a weird, weird idea, right, of, of just not – and did you guys see that video of Zach Granke the other day talking to the umpire? How hilarious that was. Yes. He's yeah. on the mound. He's talking to his catcher, and he's like, we're going with the second sign. And the announcer's like, well, now everyone in the ballpark knows that they're now doing their second <laughs> sign. And then he throws a, sli- throws a slider down right right on the knees on the outside corner. Up misses it. It ended up being a walk. He's like, hey, come on, up. Can't be missing those. <laughs> yeah. It's like the most, like – PG version ever of talking to an umpire. Hey, come on, ump. Can't be missing those. <laughs> ben, I was on the mic for a Husker no-hitter. Uh, the, the game against Arkansas. Arkansas. It was game yeah. one of a doubleheader. It was a combined no-hitter. It wasn't one pitcher that did all nine innings. Uh, and then last year, Bader had a chance. Nate Fisher yeah. had it going to the ninth inning. And then I think he hit a guy to start the ninth. They took him out. Robbie Palkert came in and gave up a base hit that ended the no-no in the ninth inning. Those are a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Okay, who's, we have to number two. Back to you, number two. Number two. I'm going football. It's been mentioned. Don't score that late touchdown. Go to a knee. Don't rub it in. Don't make your special teams come out and have to execute. Don't make your defensive players come back out of the field. Don't junk up at the end of the game. You've won. You've you've proved your superiority over the previous three hours. Just win it. Go to the locker room and celebrate in there. My number two has to do with winning with pride as well, and it has to do with blowouts, but this covers all sports. Empty your bench. I mean, so many times I've been on the call for a game, and you've got starters in there. You've got a guy with five hits. You're up 16-5. to five. You've got guys with five hits. We, we've got nine new guys out there, six defensive replacements, and you're, you're running your starters out there. Same thing with hoops. You've got guys that have 36 points and 18 rebounds. You're up by 25, and you've still got your starters in running the offense. It's just right. same thing with football, too. You've got a guy for throwing for 300 yards. Get him out of the game. Just put your, put your bench guys in, and let's have a little gentleman's agreement here of how this thing's going to end. Empty the bench, my number two. My number two goes to the, the pride factor as well. Don't rub it. 
you don't show weakness, the pitcher can't know. You're going to take your jog to first base. You're going to enjoy it. Don't grab dirt. Don't stop for anything. Don't look anywhere. Jog to first base. Enjoy the boost you're on base percentage. Do not rub it. What's the worst place to get, other than the head, what's the worst place to get hit? Ankle. That you've been hit? Ankle. 100% ankle. I would say elbow or knee. I mean, those are both. I mean, you get hit right in that elbow, that top of your elbow bone. Man, that hurts. There's just no. True. There's no other than the. It's just bone on bone, ball on bone. This is all that is. All right, my number one. Time for the number ones. Austin had it way earlier. This is don't bunt to break up a no hitter. That would drive me crazy, Austin. I would be oh, yeah. burying you on a broadcast if you did that. Say in the eighth or ninth inning of a game, the pitcher has a no hitter, and you're laying a bunt down. Give me a break. That is absolutely awesome. How perfect did that play out? Uh, my number one was my biggest superstition in baseball, and it's it's more of a superstition than an unwritten rule. But you don't step on the lines. Don't step on mm-hmm. the chalk lines coming on and off the field. I hate those idiots that are just not so unaware that they're stepping on the lines and it's such bad luck and just you just don't do it. Don't mess up the lines for no I mean if it happens and you slide, you know, back into third base, you're sliding into home and the line gets messed up, that's part of the game, but don't do it out of negligence. Just don't do it. Don't be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right, number one for me is a little bit off the beaten path, but the official is always biased against you. That's unwritten. It goes for players and fans. You just got to accept it. Of course, the refs can't write that down. They can't record it anywhere, but, you know, they know they're calling everything wrong against you, and they're doing it out of spite. You just got to accept it and move on. <laughs> All right. Very good. Can we Twitter poll this, you think? Oh, absolutely. Our number, at least sure put our number can. ones up, the yeah. best unwritten rule in sports. Anything left off your list that didn't make it, I'll start. I had one, and I didn't even really know it was that tradition, but apparently in soccer, if you're playing against your old team and you score, you're not supposed to celebrate. Whatever. I'd be doing <laughs> yeah, the, right. the shirt helicopter and <laughs> all that other stuff that they do. Do you guys have any honorable I, mentions? I, nope. I came up with just ten. All right. Say so I had a, a couple. Don't yell to confuse infielders on yeah. a pop fly. Yeah, that's um, basketball, expect, yeah, right? <laughs> expect defense if you shoot after the whistle in basketball, and then the, the Gatorade shower for a national championship winning coach. I think that's a, a rule, something that's consistently happened. Very good. We are delighted now to be joined by Steve Warren, former Husker defensive tackle and a former teammate at Nebraska with Ralph Brown. We mentioned on Friday's show has been missing. For over a year, he's off the grid. People do not know where he is. Steve has been trying to rally people. Um, Steve, great to have you with us. I, I hope you're doing well. I hope you're, you're surviving these, these incredible times that we're living in right now with COVID. It's been good. It's been good. Just uh, getting things wrapped up for the summer and about to start fall sessions with our groups and with our sports programs and our schools, hopefully when we get back to the school. So we'll be ready to go getting done with the planning. How, how much did COVID affect your business over the last five months? Um, you know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't too bad. It actually kind of helped us a little bit on the sports training side because most people were still interested in their kids staying active and being ready in case there was a season. As far as the schools go on the dream side, of course, all of our schools were shut down. So we did as much stuff as we can with our after school programs virtually. But um, you know how that is with young yeah. kids and parents and technology. So, it was a challenge, but we were at least able to offer something. 
Well, you, you just do an amazing job up there and incredible work in the Omaha area. They're really, they should be thankful to have you up there and running your academy. I wanted to get you on because I know you've been kind of following this Ralph Brown story that we talked about late last week, his disappearance of about a year ago. Steve, I had no idea. I, I, I saw Ralph maybe two years ago. I had no idea was this was going on. Did you? No, I did not. Um, I was just as shocked as everybody else this last weekend when the article came out. That he, well, I guess that was about a week ago. You know that I started digging mm-hmm. into it, um, the Entertainment Tonight story, and I started texting all of our friends and um, you know guys that I'm I'm closest with to try to see if anybody in our circle had actually talked to him, and it was just the same thing kept coming back time after time, like nobody's heard from him or talked to him in a while. I'm really worried. He's such a he was such a great engaging guy, fun to be around. I know he was really popular when he played for the Huskers. Um, does anybody did anybody they might see anything coming from this standpoint? I mean, this seems so out of character for Ralph. Yeah, you know, I think the the thing for everybody was, you know, we're all getting older now, so everybody was either going through their own stuff or, um, you know, just not really paying attention to it. Um, you know, it, Ralph wasn't somebody that a lot of us talk to all the time. You know, I talk to him mostly on social media. Um, and I can't remember the last time I had talked to him, you know, just, just dating back. You know, of course, it's been more than a year because that's how long most of us, when we started tracing things back, had talked to him last. Um, but, no, I don't think it was anything that any of us saw coming. Um, any, anybody that's in my circle that saw coming at all. Steve, what kind of teammate was he? Uh, he was a great teammate. Um, you know, Ralph came in. Ralph came in the same class as I did. Uh, Mike Brown, Carlos Polk, Russ Holstein, um, Dan Alexander. Uh, you know, we were all in the same recruiting class. Um, so not only was he a teammate, you know, we were in the same class. So that's a little bit more special with guys that cover football. You kind of know, but he's a great teammate, great dude. Um, always fun to be around. Always positive. Always upbeat. Um, always smiling. You guys that covered covered him, you guys probably remember he's always smiling. Had that great personality. He was so easy. To, he's such a likable guy. Well, Steve, do us a favor. Keep keep us posted if you would. If you hear or anybody hears from him, we're just really concerned about him and certainly hoping for this to, to have a good outcome. And I, I, I just this story just knocked me on my knees when I heard it, and I, it's, I think it affected you and your teammates about as much as that too. Yeah, it did. It absolutely did. So, it, um, it you know, it's something that we're all praying about and, uh, you know, it, deep in my heart, I think he's okay, and I think there is a group that probably knows how he's doing, um, but they just, you know, are, are kind of protecting him is what our hope is. Um, so we're just praying that everything is good to go, and he's just uh, going through a, a, a time, and he can get back to himself here soon. Well, Steve, we appreciate it. Thank you again. Continued good luck to you and that great work you're doing up in the Omaha area. You just make a lot of Huskers really proud of what you're doing up there. All right, I appreciate it. Thank you. Last few minutes of our Tuesday night edition of Sports Alley here on the Oscar Sports Network. Mike Leach, the new first-year head coach at Mississippi State, met with some media people today. And, Ben, he was asked, uh, does he have any players on his roster that are going to opt out of the season? And the reply is no. We've had no one that has approached any of our coaches to want to opt out. Why is that a, a bit of a headline? Kevin Warren's son is a football player at Mississippi State. Yeah. Surprise? A little, uh, no, I mean, I, and, and the obvious retort if you're Kevin Warren, well, he's his own person. He's a man. He makes his own decision. Well, that just, 
it is not a good look. Whether whether he's old enough to make his own decision or not, it looks awfully hypocritical. And to no fault of the, fault of the young man. No, it just, no. It's it, it's just the way that it is, and and that's the stance that your father's chosen to take. And it's just going to be a terrible look, especially if they allow fans in Starkville with fer- with uh, family and parents. Whew. That's not gonna. That's not gonna be good for the old the old commish. It's, I, I just the optics of this, the the not being transparent about things. I mean this this just continues to reek. It really does. And you're right. It's I don't fault the young man. I mean he. You're right. He's I think he's a, a junior, so he's probably twenty, maybe twenty one years old. He wants to play college. I don't blame him. But, man, if the commissioner's own son is allowed, does, and where cause, because of where he chose to go to school, he's going to be able to play football, and the guy who runs a league is going to tell his kids in that league, you can't play. It's just a bad, bad look. Yeah, just seems pretty backwards. Seems pretty backwards, especially, to, I mean, a guy that holds that much power, I get it. And, yeah, you, you use the right word. The optics of it, the way that it Ooh. looks is just – I mean, you're peeling more paint off the car and showing more rust at that point. Just no not doubt. looking good. Sue and Belleville on our text line. I am still angry that none of the other Big Ten schools who are passionate about playing this fall stood up for Frost last week. They left him on the plank of a sinking ship all alone, and now they are finally saying something. Do you guys feel the same way? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it, a lot of it depends, though. I mean, if if your head coach is on a different page as your athletic director and your president, you're not going to have a head coach that's going to go speak out publicly and um, you know start a whole bunch of friction and fire within their own program if they don't have to do it. But if everybody aligns like Nebraska does, it would have been nice to see more more people stand up. Ohio State's kind of been Nebraska's saving grace on this. Iowa too, and even Penn State to a certain degree, but. You know, to have to have some backing from the league, from other teams in the league, is nice. You know, Ryan Day did kind of say they were looking at options, and Urban Meyer, the former Ohio State coach, now turned commentator. He he had Frost's back with some comments late last week, saying, "I totally get it, and if you don't get it, then you've never been a coach of young men who you're fighting for them because you're asking them to fight for you." So he said he totally gets where Scott Frost was coming from. Those are pretty strong words from a guy that certainly carries some weight in college football. All right, tomorrow night we'll have another edition of the Husker Huddle. This will be a good one. Jeremiah Searle sits down with Nick Gates, who's really making a nice career for himself in the National Football League. Lane Grindle, our Major League Baseball insider, will be back with us. We'll get his, whether he's on Team Tatis or not. I think I know where he stands on that. And how about this? The return of buy-sell tomorrow night. Looking forward to jumping into that here on Sports Nightly.